Okay, welcome all to Parshas Bechukosai. Today, our class is dedicated to um, by Gittel. Um, I this is not pronounced correctly. Marese, yeah, okay. For four, I know it's Gittel, but Marese for four Shlema for our father in law, Yaakov Spiven Esther Natslacha for Romchaim Ben Gittel. All right. Um, Mom, we gave you a welcome well, in absentia because Rebetzin Pelkowitz is here, Rebetzin Lamb is here, and my mother-in-law. Okay, so this is what our class is about today. A big issue. Uh, issue that, you know, is the first to come up when somebody feels alienated from Torah life, from the whole world, the Torah world, they say, well, the God of the Torah is a very harsh and threatening and violent and punishing God. Look at all the words. God threatens so much. And they're talking about our Parsha. And they're talking about some other places in the Torah. We must think about this whole thing. Now, as you know, in life, we all have learned a trillion times, never think about anything without context. There's always context to everything. So first, we're going to look at the pattern of what it uh, starts in the beginning of this week's parsha Kukota, the brachot and the klalot, the blessings of the curses. Then we're going to talk about context, and then we're going to go into some very big ideas. Ideas that are so fundamental that you really can't learn Torah without them. Okay. So first of all, the context. All right. The blessings start in chapter 26, Pesukim, four through 13. It would really be a good idea to have your chumashim open. Actually, do you mind someone giving me a chumashim? To look at the entire flow of these psukim. Because you're going to see, we all are going to see, that they have a, they have, thank you so much, they have a flow. And a flow is not just within the section itself, but the flow is, has to be seen in the context of the entire Sefer Vayikra, all right? So first we zoom out to the entire Sefer Vayikra. And we understand that after the Jewish people got the Torah, there is the next, the bulk of the next information is setting up a society where the consciousness of our indwelling, so to speak, in the larger reality of God's own self, so to speak, has, is concretized in the life of the nation by the Mishkan and the service in the Mishkan and the tabernacle that we are people that never, ever can forget. And that the, the, the dynamic of our nation, the constant energy of our nation is that we, are, we live in complete awareness that every part of our physical lives is in sync with spirituality, with God, and that we are channeling um, the, the great all, all timeless truths. And, and therefore we're getting the main categories of life right. We know how to handle our material life, what to do with it, not to get lost in it. We know how to handle our emotional life. We know how to handle our intellectual life. We understand the context. This is the bulk of Sefer Vayikra, but then it switches. And it starts talking about how not to slip into the lifestyles of all of these cultures that we are kind of moving into their territory. Now, make no mistake about it. I was, you know, whenever you do some research, you got to know what, who you're learning from, because 
endless mistakes are out there and anybody can put anything up online. So one of the big mistakes is that the Jewish people come into this whole territory of the, the ancient Near East and then God violently says, destroy all of them, eradicate them, obliterate them, them and their wives and their children, their practices, destroy them all. Like what a, what a harsh God. But they don't know the facts. The facts are that when, you, when we came into this ancient Near East territory and everybody had heard about the Jews and the Ten Commandments, that Moshe sent letters to all of the nations saying, you guys have three choices. You can live with the seven mitzvahs incumbent upon all humanity. We're not asking much. Just don't be a wild animal. Don't kill your children. It's simple. There's one God. There's not a million gods that you're sacrificing each other to. Okay. Painting up yourself, scratching yourself, balding yourselves, doing God knows what, because you're terrified of the gods. That doesn't exist. No other gods. Number two, no blaspheming. Sacredness. God is lives among you. You live among God. That elevates your life. Number three, justice for all people. No one is above the law. Fair, just court systems. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. And animal rights. Basics. You could just keep the basics. Now, you know, we've seen societies that don't keep them. Nobody wants to be in a society like that. Got right. So then they had three choices. Keep the basics. You don't want to, you want to live like savages because go, go live like savages, but not here. You can move out or you don't want to keep any basic fundamental um, structures of your basic human existence. And you don't want to leave and you want to fight your choice will fight you. That's how it went. Okay. And when we were told to fight, we were told you cannot leave any of their practices around. You cannot leave their cultures intact. You cannot leave. You cannot allow this because this is going to perhaps become for you a stumbling block. Okay, so now, in the end of Vayikra, God is saying, do not slip into their practices. Follow my instructions, follow what I've taught you at Harsinai, so you'll be radically different from them. That is the context of the bracha and the kola. So if you look in Bechukosai, look how it starts. It's chapter 26, Pasuk 3 is where it starts. In Bechukosai Telechov, in Mitzvosai Tishmuru. So if you walk according to the ways that I taught you, which, in, which, which includes both behavior between man and man and behavior between man and God, because the nation, and we're gonna get into this, was very young. Mankind was younger. They did not have the science we had. They didn't have the physics we had. They didn't understand, for example, which is only 150 years old, why you had to wash your hands after you, you know, went from person to person in a hospital. But the Torah had already taught us about, about cleanliness and about, uh, and about spiritual cleanliness and physical cleanliness and cleaning up after yourselves. One of the basic laws was that you cannot leave open waste in the public eye. It has to be buried all the time buried. You have to make pits, you have to cover it up. You gotta figure out a storage system. So all sorts of stuff. So the people were young and Hashem taught them rules which they for, perhaps didn't understand yet. We said, if you follow my rules, okay? and you live by my lifestyle, then we have the section called the bracha. Now, following Hashem's rules and living with the mitzvahs doesn't just mean simple, childish obedience to God or you're going to get zapped. It means understanding that you exist for a purpose. Now, again, the context is you're coming into these lands. You are here to establish a new way of life for all of humanity, but they might protest. They might not appreciate it. You cannot, you have to be forceful. You cannot, this is not a competition of ideas. There's a right way and there's a 
wrong way to live. There's a better way and there's a worse way. And it's a fact. And I, know, I read an article years ago, maybe 15 years ago in Commentary Magazine, two well-meaning you know, do-gooders um, decided that they had, were gonna start a whole foundation and a whole thing for, um, to preserve indigenous peoples. What they meant was the noble savage, you know, the cannibals in Africa, in, in, in South America or wherever, we should preserve the, the noble savage, the, the, those, those styles of life that had never evolved. So they went to the curator of the Museum of Natural History at the time, who was Margaret Mead, remember her? She was an anthropologist who lived with the Aborigines for nine years, and they asked her to head it, to be like their partner. And she said to them, why on earth do you want to preserve these cultures? Why would I participate? I live them. They're horrible. They, they, they spread disease around the, around the world. They have no hygiene. They have no signs. They kill each other. They eat each other. Like why? She was not on board. Okay. So what's happening is this. This is the beginning of a new ideology coming into the world. And Hashem specifically says, do not do like them. If you look in the last parsha." In the last couple of sukkim, it says, do not do like them. Do not do like the nations that I'm sending you in to eradicate <laughs> unless they want to change. Do not be like them. But if you want to follow my mitzvahs, and then it goes into the bracha. And the bracha says, <clears throat> basically, it's like this. If you follow my mitzvahs, look what it says. I'll give you rain, and the earth will produce, and the trees will give their fruit. And then it's a continuum, it's not separate brachas, and then there will be plenty. And when there is plenty, there will be no war because everybody will get their knees met. And then you will not have all of the illnesses that come with deprivation and war and all of that stuff, look at Ukraine. And your communities will thrive and your children will be healthy and they will be able to thrive. And in other words, it's a continuum. It all starts with, you will get rain. Now we know rain is in God's hands, okay? That is for sure true. But if you go just a little bit deeper or you zoom out a little bit, it's very obvious. If you keep Shemitah, if you do not, if you, if you keep the mitzvah of Shemartem Ma'od al Nafsho Sechem, you don't pollute the environment, okay? You eat healthy food. You don't produce an entire billion dollar industry of poisons that smell good and look good and expect and encourage people to eat them through advertising. You know, that's also one of the mitzvahs. If you live a wholesome life, which is built into the Torah, things will function as they're supposed to function. This is not reward. This is not reward. Rambam, we learned a lot about this in previous shurim. It has nothing to do with reward. Reward is das. It's not here. It's not in this world. It's that transparency of that machitza between the physical, the material, that we allow, we get to see the whole big picture and our role in it. This is just the circumstances of the physical world. It's literally in sync with environmentalism. If you live by the mitzvahs, okay? Particularly Shemitah, which is this year, you give, you respect the earth. You understand how not to abuse it. You let it go. But all the other things that go with it, then, um, then you will have, you will flourish. Okay, and of course Hashem will help you, but it's also partially built into the system. And that, and then you will live a life where everybody can shalom. there's gonna be peace, there won't be war, there won't be famine, there won't be you know, insufficiency, which then you gotta go make deals with countries that you really don't wanna make a deal with because they provide food. 
that happens all the time, right? So you got to have some sort of arrangement with them. You really hate their policies and their and their values, but hey, you need food from them. So you won't need that. So there's going to be peace, and you will not um, you will not be threatened. Now look what it says: and the wild animals they will not invade your cities. You know what that means? Your cities will grow, your population will grow, and the wild animals will not, in, there'll be so many people and such thriving cities that the, it will be a human habitat and the animals will remain in the forest and they will not, um, no longer roam around because the human society is spreading, but in a good way, okay? And, um, and, um, and your enemies will, will not have the power, you will not have a, you know, any sort of capacity to threaten you or adopt them, they will, if they attack you, they will, they will lose. Okay. You will have superiority and you will, um, you will have surplus. Now look what it says in the end, 11 and 12. I will dwell among you. I will walk among you. Okay. I, you will live a world where physically, spiritually and materially, okay. Spiritually and materially, you will thrive. That is the bracha. Now, the way the brachas work is they're inclusive. They're all inclusive. You get one, you get them all. It's not one thing, and then I'll also give you a different bracha, and then I give you a different bracha. One bracha leads to the next, which leads to the next. It's all just a natural flow. When you get into the curses, it's very different, extremely different. First, there's one problem. Then if we don't wake up, another new problem. It's not like necessarily the same sort of flow. You could stop it in the middle, okay? But look at how the curses are presented. The imlo tishmuli, if you don't listen and you don't live by my mitzvahs and you start to degrade and devalue my chukim and my mishpatim, chukim are between me, God and man, mishpatim are between man and man, okay? And you start to um, cause the bris between us to become tattered, okay? Look at the first thing that's gonna happen, tesayin. <clears throat> and I will venasati. Look at this. Vikadati, hivkadati alechem bahala, shacha, shachefes, kadachas, machlos enayim, medivos nefesh, vizaratem lyric. Okay. So the Chazal said, we don't know exactly what this is, but what's happening here, if you look very carefully, your eyes will yearn. And your nefesh, which is your life spirit, will 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 be will be um, will be um, you will pine away, you will languish, and you will work for nothing, rick for emptiness. This is the beginning. Meaning, if you don't live by my mitzvahs, it's saying very simply: if you don't have a sense of your your connection to God, if you just start living in survivor mode, that's actually what it is. Just trying to get the best of it. You forget about God. You forget about your purpose of Arla Gaim. You forget that you're channeling something greater than yourself. You know what's going to happen, and it gives you the general. In the end, you're going to start feeling it in depression, emptiness, anxiety. So talking about, you will pine away. You will have no no value, no sense of value to your life. Your 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 nefesh, your spirit will be will be um, languishing, meaning depression. And you will feel empty. Everything you do, it's lyric. It's empty because you know what? You are not going to get anything. You're not going to get satisfaction. Your enemies will take what you, all those wonderful contributions you make, 
and use it for their own purposes, you'll get no satisfaction from it. They won't appreciate it. Imagine this is Israel, we've experienced this, we do so much for the world and they don't care. They don't appreciate it. They benefit from it constantly. You've seen those uh, memes that go around, the memes that go around like, oh, you wanna boycott Israel? Okay, don't have a casket, don't have an MRI, don't use this, don't, everything, don't use your computer. But you will look for some sort of sense of purpose or value and you're not gonna get it because nobody cares about you. They take, but they don't give. And since the value doesn't come from our connections, I got a sparkle, you look for value in other people's eyes, in other nations' eyes, it's not coming. This is happening as we speak. The BDS, Princeton, uh, CUNY, you saw all this, SUNY, whatever, right? Yeah. What's it called? Oh, the, all the BDS, all that, they don't care about our appreciations. And so if we don't have Torah, or we don't have a sense of our eternal connections, I got a sparkle, this is what happens. Okay, and it goes on to say emptiness, emotional illness, a sense of depression on a national level, frustration on a national level, and it goes on and on and on. And the word here to look out for is Rick. Look at Psukim 2021. Your energies will go for nothing. Rick will be empty, empty of your satisfaction. Okay, and then your land will not produce. And then what happens here is, Shem says, you will not produce. What's going to happen is that you will, um, you will, if you look at it earlier, early, says that um, you will, the rain won't fall. I will make, look at the words, 19. And this is clearly talking in allegory. Look what it says. I'm going to break your pride of your strength your heavens will be like iron and your earth will be like copper or brass what is exactly um copper copper yeah and uh, so what is that saying non-productive you will not be productive it'll be like this you something you can't break through you can't get anything out of and um, you will feel that you're just pushing against the wall. And, um, and then one thing leads to the next, leads to the next, which means the Jewish people will not be the center of influence. They will not be able to, um, to really have the impact they're supposed to have. Everything will begin to fall apart. But it, what happens here is if you look at 21, it goes, the, the Torah tells us exactly what's happening. Im telchu imi keri. Keri is Rick. It's, it's right. Look at keri. It's the same letters. Carry means, this is the whole thing, what happens is the Jewish people act, it's called carry. Carry is from the root of mikra. Like, again, everything's just the way it is because that's the way it is, because that's it. I don't know, there's no bigger reality. It's also interesting, rock. People say, but it's rock. like this, but rock and rain. Rock, rock, right. It My is what name. it is, this is right. So what happens is like this, you know, it's interesting because, um, because, one of the main like identifying aspects of Jewish character mm -hmm. is when we look at a situation, we don't say, okay, it is what it is. We say, how can we make this better? And that's the secret to the endless innovations and creative you know, ideas and all of that kind of stuff startup. What happens here is Mikra is like, it is what it is. This world is what it is. There's nothing to do with it. It's a very fatalistic survivor mode attitude. 
is not Jewish at all. The first person that 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 uh, introduced to the world, and I heard this from my father was the concept of we never think like that. This is not a Jewish way of thinking. And he said, you're going to be influenced by them. They're a bunch of fatalists, right? Remember with Paro, Paro said, he said, okay, there's going to be seven fat cows, seven skinny cows. So the advisor said, look, it is what it is. You're going to have seven daughters. They're, they're all going to die. You're going to capture seven cities. It's all, you're going to lose them. It is what it is. So Yosef came and said, okay, here's the facts. You can have seven good years, seven bad years. And it isn't what it is. Guess what? We are going to get rich on this, okay? Egypt is going to become the most powerful empire in the world. We're going to do something with this. It's not it is what it is. There's no such thing, fatalism. And this is one of the curses of the society around them. All the pagans were fatalists, okay? Even there's a lot of fatalism in, in, uh, in the Muslim culture. Like if I put on a belt and it doesn't blow up, then God didn't want me to blow up this bus. If it blows up, it was God's will. I mean, that's the thing. So he's saying, if you're going to slip into this, this is what the story is. Let's make the best of it, of it. And whatever we got to do, we got to do. When you start scrambling, it's not going to work. And things are going to deteriorate. Okay. And Hashem's Afani, I'm going to, I'm going to treat you in a way that resembles the way you think. And you're going to get stuck. It's going to be a vicious cycle. But then at the end of it, he says, remember, it's all, this whole thing is still purposeful. I'm gonna, things are gonna deteriorate, but you're the Jewish people. And at some point you're always gonna have leaders, you always see and people are gonna say, okay, this is happening because we gotta get our get back on our game. Okay, this is we're forgetting who we are, like in the Purim story. And in the end, if you look at Sukkim 44, 45, even if you get kicked out of the land and you're in the, in the lands of your enemies, I have not despised you, I have not rejected you, I have not broken my bris with you. This is all just to get you back on track, okay? I still remember my bris with all of you and with your ancestors when I took you out of Mitzrayim in the eyes of all the nations to be Elohim, your God, which means you are my conduit through which I run the world. So first of all, okay. So the context of bracha and klala is A, you are my people. You know you were the first to spiritually mature. You understand there's a better way to live. You have to spread it, but there's always a danger of slipping into it. Don't slip into it. If you stick with the program, you will flourish. Like Hashem said, Avram, those who bless you will be blessed. If you don't stick with the program, things will deteriorate, not only supernaturally, but that's how societies fail. We're going to look more carefully into how do societies fail. What's the, what begins, look at it, parts of American society today, okay? What begins this, the whole slippery slope downwards? First of all, everybody understands that we, yeah, we don't have great gun control laws, but a lot of countries don't have great gun control laws, but the mass killings of children and schools, this, is, this doesn't go on in the rest of the world. It actually doesn't go on. What is going on in this country? The crazy inability to say that a, that, um, a woman is a woman or a man is a man, the, ability, the, the argument, the extreme argument that, the life begins at implantation, so there's no abortion, even for where the mother's life is in danger, right? To the other extreme, you can kill a child, it's while it's coming out, you murder even someone, after. even after. Where, what is going on here? Okay, so um, we're, you, you see that societies, it is scary, societies begin to fail. And uh, it doesn't, you know, it's dangerous, of course, there's always the hope that they can right themselves. But what we're talking about here is God is warning the people 
You do not want your society to fail, like all these cultures that you're living among, that you just came out of. That's why you all accepted a Torah to begin with. So stick to it, because don't forget, it's not so, the, you know, the slippery slope downwards, it doesn't look so dangerous in the beginning until it's over. If you look, I want you to skip actually to the Rashi in C, okay? When, when, the, when the part starts with the curses, it says, but if you, if you spurn my laws, okay, do not observe my mitzvahs and break my covenant. So look what Rashi says, okay? Denying the great principle of the existence of God. So then seven things happen that are all built into this Pasuk. And these are them. He has not studied. Therefore, he has not practiced the mitzvahs. Consequently, scorns others who do practice them. Then he hates the sages, prevents others from practicing, denies the divine origin of the commandment, and finally denies God. And voila, that's what you get. It just goes like that. It's a slippery slope. You got you to begin with the value of the Torah that we got. Hashem says, I took you out of a culture, the worst culture in the world. I'm bringing you into a people that are not yet evolved. You need to help them evolve. That's what your that's what your job is. Don't slip into it. Now, let's go to the fundamental idea, the big idea that you really can't learn Torah without. The Torah, as we know, is writing in the mitzvah, in the in the brachas, in the klolos, and in other places, like in the Aseris of Dibros, where Hashem says, "I'm a vengeful God. I will punish." The Torah is speaking to all of us forever. However. It is directly the pshat, the simple, straightforward meaning is, has to be understood in the context of the generation that the Torah is speaking to. Just like it tells us in the Torah things about the ancient world that are not really, um, func you know, uh, um, what's the word, um, practical in our generation. Okay, we learn about the, the god Baal destroy, and the Ashtara and how we have to destroy them. And we learn about cities in Egypt that we went from this city to this city, Ram, the Ramses and this. And we learn about places in the desert, location desert, we don't know where they are. We are talking to, uh, the, the Torah is speaking to the generation that left Egypt. We, I even shared with you when we left, when we went to Egypt, we saw that one of the most ubiquitous images uh, like, you know, they had billboards, but their billboards were the walls around their temples and the walls around their, around their palaces and the walls of the, you know, around any building and functionally, they would paint on them and one of the, engrave on them. One of the main images we saw multiple times was the image of uh, the Pharaoh and he's got his enemies kneeling on the ground or their heads are like three enemies kneeling together and he's got like a big stake above their heads and his hand is outstretched, which is a big like, you know, some sort of hammer to like come down and smash all the enemies. And it says in hieroglyphic, in hieroglyphics, in right, a mighty hand, outstretched arm, I will smite my enemies. So Hashem speaks in that language and says, yeah, you want to see a mighty hand? That's smite enemies. Watch this. I'm going to show you a mighty hand. So there's no question that the Torah is speaking in the language of that generation. Now, remember what we learned. The Jewish people have a natural, like every human being, um, um, process of maturation. The exodus from Egypt, which this is, this is the time of the exodus from Egypt, they were not just infants, 
They were newborns, okay? And, and then they were introduced to God and then they were given their program for life till today, but they were still our ancestors, whether biologically or ideological ancestors, who's ever Jewish, either is biological or ideological, maybe, right? They heard a vision, which is right here, but the nation was very, very young and it was spoken to in the language of a brand new nation. Now, how do we speak to children when we are educating them? Why is the Torah, Torah is here, such black and white language. And then when the Torah was closed and the books of the Nevi'im were closed, how many years ago did the books of the Nevi'im close? 2,500 years ago, okay? The, then the books were closed. That was when the Jewish people were really ended their childhood phase. There were a thousand years of prophecy and miracles and God's presence and the temple among them. And they started maturing, going out into the exile and having to really internalize and live by and die for and sacrifice for our value system. So we're looking in the Chinuch years, okay? In Chinuch, in those early years, it, things have to be super clear. And look here, look at ages one to three, look at B. Toddlers begin to understand the ideas of rules and can start to respond if told not to do something, okay? While they, while they begin to realize that others have feelings and needs, it can be difficult for toddlers, toddler, toddlers to resist acting impulsively. For example, when an 18 month old wants a toy, he or she is likely to grab it from another child. At this stage, children do not yet have the ability to truly distinguish between right and wrong and they're on their own. Instead, they rely on parents to define morality. Okay, and learn the right and, and, and learn that right is being obedient. By consistently offering guidance and correction, parents teach children about acceptable, unacceptable behaviors and that consequences that follow. This is how children learn. First, it has to be crystal clear, black and white. Period. Now, when the Torah says, whoever is Mahal Shabbos, most you must, they will must be, must be put to death. Everybody who ever learned anything about Torah knows that it never happened. If a base didn't kill somebody once in 70 years, it's murderous. But why did it happen? Because then the Torah went up to set up a million little necessity. First, they have to do it in front of people. And then within X amount of seconds, they have to get a warning by two people who don't know each other, don't relate, not related to each other, not related to them. Then they got to do it again on purpose in front of those people, knowing like it, a whole bunch of stuff. And then there was all sorts of other considerations and it never happened. So why does the Torah talk like that? Maybe it happened once or twice because it's trying to impress upon us how important this is. It's so important, it's not, it is not negotiable, okay? So when you speak to children, say, if you run in the street again, you know, you could say, I'm gonna punish you for the rest of your life. <laughs> right now, a parent's not gonna literally destroy their child forever if they do run in the street, but you, you gotta be strong. So there is, first of all, we have to understand that the Torah is written to the generation that came out of the tribe. It is written to the earliest moments of Jewish history. It is written to us as a young fledgling nation to impress in our minds right from wrong as clearly as possible. There's no confusion here, what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad. And also obedience. Yes, it starts like that. You must be obedient or these things will happen and you will not be happy. Of course, in the end, it's for our own sake so that we can thrive and live our lives, not purposelessly, but with purpose as a Tzelem Elohim and Orla Gayim. But we don't get that yet. We don't fully get it yet. 
Okay, look at four and five. Rather than being just directed by adults, preschoolers begin to develop their own ideas of right and wrong. Okay, then you're going to get into the Nevi'im, who speak a little bit differently than the Torah, and they start uh, as the nation matures a little bit, but still early on, talking more about motivation, inspiration. Moshe also the end of Devarim, he motivates and inspires, but still with a lot of this serious black and white um, language. Look at Rabbi Sachs. The whole idea contained in the 13 attributes of compassion is that God's love and forgiveness are stronger than his justice and punishments. Why then are the curses in this week's parsha so much longer, so much more emphasized? The reason the curses are so dramatic is not because God seeks to punish, but the exact opposite. The Talmud tells us God weeps when he allows disaster to strike his people. Woe to me that due to their sins, I destroyed my house, burned my temple, exiled my children among the nations. The curses are meant to be a warning. They were intended to put off, scare, discourage. They are like a parent warning a young child not to play with electricity because it is dangerous. A parent may in deliberately intend to scare the child, but they do it from love and not severity. And that explains the end of the curses where Hashem says, I will never forget the bris. I will never abandon you. I will never detest you. I will never reject you. So when we're looking at bracha and klala here, you have to ask the simple question. Okay, let's say this is chinuch. Good. How can you tell if chinuch worked? At three or four when the kid is having a temper tantrum because they don't like the chinuch? Maybe at 10 years old when they're, you know, trying to please the parents a little more, but when the parents are not watching, they're beating up their sibling. When can you tell that chinuch worked? When you're an adult. Okay. So now you ask, well, let's look at the product of all these all this nation that was threatened with all these blessings and curses, so many curses. Let's look at the product. Isn't it interesting? The nation that's still around, whose just laws have been the foundation of America, of every decent country that gives freedom, most charitable people on earth, most creative people on earth, the second to America, in an innovation and particularly for Tikkun Olam for betterment of humanity. Wait, wait a second, let's look at it. Chesed out of bounds on every single level, infrastructure in the Jewish community that is also available to non-Jews that will never leave a person in, under any circumstances behind, period. Okay, let's look at the product. Did the chinuch work? I think it worked, okay? Even your so-called secular Jew in Israel who doesn't even know not to eat on Yom Kippur, which every single Jew actually knows to eat on not eat Yom Kippur, but a secular Jew in Israel, okay? The simple consciousness, I'll tell you an amazing story, a shout out for some wonderful people in Cincinnati. Here's a little story. I think I told this, when I just told this? I did this in my tefillah, my tefillah class. No, even on the middle. I didn't. I didn't teach this week besides the field class. Right, but I mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, to make a long story short. Okay, long story short. A friend of mine who's uh, from Israel here and a and a invited by the American State Department on a particular mission is to meet people in her field. Anyway, um, she ends up, to make a long story short, they end up in Cincinnati, they have a whole bunch of meetings, there's some sort of world congress on equality or human, whatever going on in Cincinnati. So they, they end up in Cincinnati. She ends up with Corona. To make a long story short, she's sitting in her hotel room, the a group you know, doesn't allow her to join, obviously, and she's sitting in her hotel room and the, the mission is being run by the State Department. 
And they all leave from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. They're out of the hotel. So she's calling. She's calling the, the, the liaison with the State Department that's with the group. And she's calling the front desk. Please, I need a towel. I need water. I have a food. Can you bring me something? No, we can't come. You have Corona. She's like, could you just put it in front of my door? I'll open it with 17 masks on. I'll open the door. Anyway, she calls me by 9 o'clock at night. She said, I'm really sick. No, it was like 8 o'clock at night. I'm really sick. I don't have food. I don't have water. They won't bring me anything. Nobody does anything. They tell me maybe to, they tried to get me a telehealth appointment. Didn't work. Maybe tomorrow they're going to get me an appointment. I'm sitting this in a hotel. I'm quarantined for five days. The window doesn't open. They're, they, they're, they're, you know, she's, she's bawling. Like, I, I don't know, you know. Okay. I call, shout out, Achiezer, Shalom Jaroslitz. I need a contact in Cincinnati. 20 seconds. I have Rabbi Yisrael Kaufman. Five minutes later, situation. I'm on it. One hour later, knocking on her door, Dr. Jay Bernstein from Cincinnati, a pile of supplements. Take all of these. Here's water. Here's all the stuff you can take. You're going to feel better in the morning. Here's food. Here's everything. Call me tomorrow. Boom. And then the State Department lady comes the next day. Okay, we're going to try to get you a telehealth appointment. And we're going to She goes, it's okay. I got my stuff. She goes, what do you mean you got your stuff? We talked last night at like 10 o'clock at night. What are you talking about? She goes, yeah, in the middle of the night. So a, a doctor came, brought me all this. She goes, what? Ooh, where? What, what, what do you have? What? So she says, you don't understand. You don't know how the Jewish community operates, period. And if I had called them and said, there's a non-Jew there and she's my friend, we're, we're the same thing. And it doesn't matter. So, so here's the thing. Did the chinuch work? Somebody challenge you and says, God is so harsh. Say, stop. Look at the product. What sort of nation are we? That's the first thing. Did all this harsh, angry, threatening, violent talk lead to a nation who are bloodthirsty killers and don't care about anybody and survival of the fitness? Says, well, no, it's extreme opposite. How does it work? By the way, not for now. How do the same men that say Shaloa Sani Isha constitute the group of, of what's considered the best men on earth to marry and that everybody wants to marry a Jewish man? How did that happen? The same men that say, I, you know, I'm not a woman. You have to understand <laughs> the same thing, right? You have to understand, all right? How, you have to understand context. So that's number, that is very important. And part of the context that we understand here is it was a young nation. God, Hashem is making it super clear. Don't be like those horrible societies that failed, but in the process of their failing, everybody was brutalized, tyrannized, and suffered. Okay, it didn't just fail and like, okay, bye, we're leaving as a, it was horrible societies that eventually imploded. Okay, we're at the out freedom, societies without freedom, without dignity, where even in Egypt, only the Pharaoh even had a soul. Only the Pharaoh, because the, the gods bestowed life upon the Pharaoh, but nobody else, everyone else was a bunch of cattle. So, um, so start, so that's that and that. And even built into the Pesukim, you can even see the way the Pesukim are written. When it talks about the Bracha, look at the Ibn Ezra. It says, you're gonna thrive and everything's gonna thrive. But when it goes into the Bracha and the, to the curse, it says, first you're gonna get, you're going to, what's going to hit you when you start living a life without purpose and meaning, because there's no mitzvahs and there's no Torah, you're going to get depressed, you're going to have anxiety, you're going to be in survival mode, and your eyes will be weak, you know, you'll be like that, you know, not weak, but like that, that, that you know, the eyes, eyes mean your outlook on life, languishing, terrible, looking for something more, emptiness, feeling of terrible emptiness, and then it's going to go, and then, but when you look at the klala, each sort of speak like threat, comes on its own, and then you could stop it right there. But if you don't stop it,
if you don't catch yourself, then the next level, okay? So look at Ibn Israel, the empty-headed say that there are more curses than blessings. However, they do not speak the truth. What scripture does is to speak of the blessings in general terms. However, list the curses in detail in order to scare, frighten and scare the listeners. What I say will be clear to the one who reads the text carefully, okay? The means that after each warning in the form of, if you still do not listen, then there are two or three verses containing more curses or, or the inevitable repercussions. However, recall, recall that in the case of the blessings, after it says, if you follow my law, laws, we read 10 verses in a row, abounding with blessing. Okay, so the very structure is different. So uh, curses come you know, stage by stage by stage, blessings come, you know, fully. Here, the and look at the plenty versus the real essence of the blessings is plenty versus insufficiency. Okay. So he says like this: We turn to the Ramban Nachmanides, and he, in context of what we mentioned before, the removal of the vicious animals, he says, in the view of Ramban says, in the view of Rabbi Yehuda, the text reads simply that vicious animals will not enter the land. In the wake of the plenty and the other blessings of goodness, the cities will fill with people. And due to the increased population, gaining greater control over the land, wild animals will not venture near a populated place. Except during COVID. Yeah, except during COVID when everybody was, that's right. Right. Now, hello, let me tell you something else. Built into the mitzvahs of the Torah, okay, is Baal Tashkas. You know, we say, oh, but overpopulation is dangerous because the animals are losing their habitats, correct? Okay. But there's a mitzvah in the Torah called Baltashkas. When animals go extinct because of hunting, because people want elephant tusks, because of people want shark fins, it's all usr derisa, all forbidden. You can't kill animals, waste animals for some, you know, valueless purpose. And then when animals go extinct because of, of uh, over, you know, over hunting, not the, not, um, you know, not, um, and also over, over uh, what's the word when you, oh, whatever, um, I forgot the word, but even the, even the idea that what is, you know, Tsar Balachim, even the idea that what can a person, and, and Baltashkas is another thing, also with, also with trees, with everything else, we um, there's so much of the of the ecosystem of the world is either damaged terribly or gone, not because necessarily that uh, that it was you know people just needed to eat and people needed to live, but for for purposes that were you know particularly um, uh, we would say today valueless. Now that's there's a whole other thing by the way talking about Sarah Balachayim. That's a whole other subject. We have a whole share on that. We have a whole share on that. But what do you do about, what does a Torah society do of deforestation? You're living, the cities are growing, you're encroaching into the, into the habitats that the animals need. And of course the animals need to live. And if they can't, when one animal goes extinct, everybody, you know, we all suffer. So what happens with that? What's the balance between human need and animal need? Is that built into the Torah? Of course it's built into the Torah. Okay, taking into consideration what uh, there is there, you know, that everything in a Kaddish Baruch Hu's world is purposeful. Remember the story of David and the, and the spider? There's the basic fundamental idea that every species is purposeful. Every single bug, every single instinct is purposeful. We don't just unilaterally devalue any part of any part. So it would require that in a Jewish society, 
there would be scientists worrying about the loss of species, worrying about what we're doing to the habitats, figuring out solutions so that everything lives in balance. That's very built into the Jewish consciousness. The fame, most famous medish in the world, that dove in the cave, everybody, every little child knows, every spider has a purpose. Yeah, okay. So whatever the laws would be would depend on the situation and the government would make those laws, but this is the value system. Okay, so he goes, then Rabbi Shimon's opinion states, there goes a little bit deeper. And here we're just going to go into the metaphysical context, D, but we're first still in the in four, in B4. Rabbi Shimon's opinion states that, oh, I got to end very quickly, they will cease causing harm to the animals. Okay, I'm sorry, they will see, in other words, the evil violence of the animals will cease to exist in the world. Sorry, the violent animals will cease to exist. Other words, no, not they will cease to exist. Animals will no longer be violent. As we learned by Mashiach, the lamb will lay with the lion. This is correct for the land of Israel at the time of Israel's fulfillment of the commandments will be as the world was at its very beginning before, God, the, before the sin of Adam, no beast attacking man. As, now that means, what? Well, not only beasts, microbes little tiny in like microscopic things that attack us, right? Viruses at its states in Talmud it is not the serpent which kills, but the sin which kills. Meaning we're talking about what Hashem is really on a going metaphysical here, going much, much deeper. Look at D, that Akadosh Baruch is saying, you can actually, if you keep the mitzvahs, Eretz Yisrael that I'm giving you, it's going to be a little bit like an Eden. It will flourish. You will have all your needs met. There will be no violence, not animal against man, not nature against man, no more nature against man threat. There is no meant to be a threat of nature against man. Nature is meant to be our maidservant, our hand, you know, our, 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 the, the one that helps us achieve our ultimate goal. Nature is supposed to be at our service. Like when the Jews came to the Yam, so it split. It's at our service. Like you learn in the Gemara, if, if there was a very, very poor sage and he didn't have oil, he had vinegar. So the vinegar burned, not the oil. It's okay. Nature does what we need it to do. That's how nature is supposed to operate. When, when we are living as we're meant to be living in sync with God, nature is put back to a natural way of functioning. We have a whole share on this actually, but in and of itself. And I did also for my father-in-law, of, um, that the natural teva of teva, the nature of nature, is it's meant to help us achieve our spiritual goals and live correctly. So there, this is, Hashem is telling us all of this stuff. I'm not just telling you how to have a good economy and not have war. I'm telling you how to make Eretzisrael thrive in a way that it's the closest thing to Gan Eden, where people live in peace. Nature is at peace with man. People are thriving. There is none of the poverty and the famine and all of that stuff that plague humanity. There's a way to make that happen. And the promises are to us. And, and the truth is that you can even see in Eretzisrael today glimpses of it. You can see glimpses of it. Even the, the way that in Eretzishol today, a land that in the past had so many famines, we can take water out of the air now, that's an Israeli invention. You just see glimpses of a place that everybody, that has enough for everybody, that is able to produce, that is able to provide. And you know what? Even when Eretzishol provided nothing and it was desolate and it was, and it was, and it was exploited, the land itself was exploited and it was not treated well, and the land itself was dry and barren. Even then, every empire wanted to make sure they controlled Israel, okay? It's always been the center. Imagine the way we envision it, it's a center, but everybody looks to it for inspiration, not to conquer it, and it's thriving, and it's a little bit of Ghanaian in this world, not just physically, but we're talking about spiritually, the way we people live there, the way the societies are built there, 
the achdos, the shalom, the unity, the peace, the helping each other, the, the support system, the, the emotional health, the spiritual health, that's what soul is meant to be. And that's what the Kodesh Baruch was telling us to try to create that and to be really, really, really be scared of the opposite, okay? And as um, Hashem, we're always on a mission to get closer and closer to this, all of us together. Have a beautiful Shabbos, everyone. Right, guys, I got to run. I'll see you on the Q&A, okay?